What's up, young adults? How we doing? You guys good? Oh, man. I can't tell you how good it is to see your bright and smiley 2016 faces tonight. I've missed you guys. You guys ready for a good night of church? You ready? All right. I've been praying a lot for this message, trying to get some kind of direction, not necessarily for what I want to talk about, but for what the big man upstairs wants to talk about tonight. And um, I just want you guys to know, man, I am so very, very grateful that I get to teach the Bible and talk about God with you guys on a regular basis, and I, I do not take it lightly. And just through preparation and prayer, man, tonight, I, I just am so confident that this is coming straight from him, and so I'm just going to do my best to get out of the way and let him do his thing because he's really, really good at doing his thing. So that's what I'm going to try to do tonight because, man, I know there's some of you in here tonight, and you don't know that you have a creator, and my prayer for you has been that God would meet with you tonight in such a way that maybe you would realize it would click for the first time that this whole thing is, is not an accident, which means that you're not an accident, which means that you have a purpose, which means that you're a part of something that's so much bigger than maybe you've ever dared to even imagine or stop to think about. And then there's some of us in here, man, and we just, we just need to be reminded tonight that that creator, he, he's good and he's awesome. And there are no words to describe how big he is and how capable he is that we truly do worship a God that we cannot exaggerate. I love that. You think about that. We worship a God that we cannot exaggerate no matter how hard we try. No matter how much of him you ever have an experience, there will always be more of him for you to have an experience because he is an infinite well of life, an infinite well of joy and peace and everything that is good. And if God is an infinite well of goodness, then there's no reason for anybody in this room to ever walk through their life. Like if God is an ocean of goodness and we're little jars, there's no reason for anybody in here to ever walk through life with just a jar that's only partially full of his goodness, not when he's infinite in every way that you could possibly imagine. There will always, always, always be more of him for you to experience. And some of us, man, some of you guys in here tonight, you're in a season where you're walking right now through the valley of the shadow of death, and you just need to hear tonight and be reminded that although at times it may not feel like it, that he's with you right smack in the middle of that valley, and he's bigger than the mountains that surround your valley, and your job simply is just to walk through it, and then eventually walk out of it, trusting that somewhere out there beyond all of our logic and reasoning that he's got all the math figured out, and you're going to come out of it stronger than when you went into it, and once again, that there will always be more of him for you out there, so if you've ever had one of those moments in your life like an emotional moment maybe where you've just taken some time to stop and think, like if it was during a sunset, something Christian-y like that, or like around the table with a bunch of good friends, or like by the ocean or up in the mountains skiing or snowboarding or underneath the stars where you just stop and think long enough to hear what your soul is trying to say and you just, you kind of just think, man, there has got to be more out there for me. If you've ever thought that, I am telling you tonight with so much biblical confidence and integrity that you feel that way because there is more out there for you. There's more of him for you to experience and he designed you that way. He created you to experience that's, that more that is out there for you, which is why your soul craves it so badly. Not just in heaven one day forever after we die, but in the here and now, right now, he designs you to experience it. And that right there is the little thesis that I think God wants all of us to hear tonight. No matter where you're at on your faith journey in here, this is not just about 
heaven forever one day after we die. This is about a life-giving, a contentment-giving, a peace-giving, joy-giving, purpose-giving relationship with your creator in 2016. That's what this is about tonight. That's what I feel like God wants you to hear tonight. And it's funny, I think as Christians, it's kind of easy for us to believe in the concept of heaven because it's someday, right? It's down the road, it's not now, it's mysterious, but we don't have to worry about it now, so it's easier for us to believe in. But when Jesus said, I have come so that you might have life and have it to the full, he was not talking about someday. He wasn't talking about someday. He was talking about the here and now because he is here now which means that heaven's probably a lot closer than any of us have maybe ever thought, which means that your eternity, and you have to get this, does not start the moment that you die. Your eternity begins the moment that you're saved. I'm gonna say that again. Your eternity does not begin the moment that you close your eyes for the last time and take your last breath. It begins the moment your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven begins the moment that you're saved which means that if you're saved, your eternity has already began. And I think that's a lot harder for us to get because that's today, that's tonight. And it sounds too good to be true, but I promise you it's not. Look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 17. He's having a conversation with some Pharisees. That's oh, good, man. It's good. <laughs> Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is what? It's in your midst right now. So he came to bring heaven to this planet. And that's why he tells us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right now, he wants to see heaven invade every single aspect of your life, to invade your job, to invade your dinner tomorrow night, to invade your commute to your job, to invade the lattes that you make at Starbucks at your job, to invade the marriage that you'll one day commit to. Fill in the blank with anything and everything because Jesus came to redeem and restore everything and anything. And so tonight, if you're taking notes, I've titled this message, In 2016 As It Is In Heaven. In 2016 As It Is In Heaven because a sweet 16 will be found in you praying and believing and declaring that his kingdom has come in your life as it is in heaven, in Denver as it is in heaven, in Red Rocks, young adults as it is in heaven. It seems too good to be true, man, because I think a lot of things in this world really are too good to be true and we're conditioned to kind of think that, but I promise you, this is real. As real as Jesus walking the face of this planet 2,000 years ago, this is not too good to be true. When I was 11 years old, and this is ridiculous, when I was 11 years old, I spent all of my money on two parakeets, and I named them Ricky and Lucy, like from I Love Lucy. I've never even seen an episode of that. I just thought it was funny, I guess. But looking back, it was a horrible idea because they were, so, they were smelly and they were obnoxiously loud and they were just so dirty. I had to clean the cage like three times a week. And by that, I mean my poor mom had to clean the cage like three times a week. <laughs> They're just not cool. It's just kind of a wimpy pet to have. You know, looking back, I would have gotten something cool like a falcon. That's much cooler. I keep trying to convince the YA staff here that we need a, we need a falcon for a young adult's mascot just to kind of hang out here on Thursday night because that would be like the ultimate 
evangelism tool. You tell all your friends like, dude, you gotta check out this young adults ministry. There's a freaking falcon there, dude. It just <laughs> flies around during service. The guy talked for like 30 minutes. It just sat on his shoulder the entire time. It was insane. You have to see this. I'm hopeful, hasn't happened yet, but I'm hopeful. But that would be cool. I had parakeets. That's how cool I am. Tells you a lot about me. Like, first of all, though, I think, like, the life of a caged bird is just, like, that sucks. That should be illegal. Like, these birds, they were born in captivity, have had semi-clipped wings their entire life, and they sit in a cage in our living room right next to these massive windows where they could stare up into the sky that they're made to fly in and watch other birds fly while they're stuck in a cage. Like, I just, I just think that's lame. I, I don't know, but, like, one of my favorite pastimes with my brother, my little brother Ryan, when I was 11, I was 11, mind you, okay, and he was like nine, and our parents would leave, a th I'm sorry, would leave us home alone every once in a while just for like an afternoon for a few hours, and when they did, what we would do is we would let the birds out of the cage to fly around the house and fly around the living room, and then we'd grab our Nerf guns, and... <laughs> I gotta say this, we never hit them. I feel like I need to say this over and over again. Never hit them, all right? This, they were just too fast and we were too unskilled, okay? We never hit them and this was not like the big Nerf arrows that would like kill one of these parakeets. This was like the little darts that fly for like five feet and then just like die and so like you can't hit them but we just like hunkered down behind the couches and kind of hit them as they fly back and forth from curtain to curtain and stuff like that and um like even if we hit them guys I like I'm an animal lover I feel like I have to say that even if we hit them it would probably sting just like a paintball stings like just enough to make it fun for everybody I believe this was <laughs> this was fun for everybody even in your cage and you have all the bird seed your little birdie heart could ever desire, like I'd take flying around the home, even if I'm getting shot at to that any single day, all right? Any day. And uh, <laughs> I know this is ridiculous, but put yourself in the mind of one of these parakeets just for a second, all right? You, you grow up with clipped wings staring up into the sky, watching other birds fly, thinking, I'm made to do that, yet I'm sitting in this cage. Maybe one day, maybe one day that freedom will be here, and then one day the stupid kids that you live with in the house that your cage is in decide to let you out of the cage, and you think, oh, this is it. This is my freedom. This is the moment I've been waiting for. And you hop to the edge of the cage, spread your wings, lift off, and fly, thinking, I am finally Oh, wait, you let me out so you could shoot Nerf guns at me. Of course this is happening to me right now because I'm a pet parakeet and this is as good as life will ever get for me because I'm a caged bird. Of course you're firing your stupid Nerf guns at me. I hate you guys so, so, so much. Freedom? Yeah, I've heard that one before. Freedom? This is not freedom. I was made to fly. I was made for the freedom of the sky and this is not that. This was too good to be true and I knew it would be. And I know it's kind of a dumb metaphor about birds, but man, I feel like it works because, I mean, aren't we conditioned as being broken human beings who live in a broken world to really think, yeah, a lot of the things in this world, they really are too good to be true. I mean, walk down the magazine section at King Supers and you're going to find out exactly what I'm talking about and read all the articles, the titles on all the different covers, like 
fix your stress or your anxiety in like three simple steps or finally be fulfilled in this area of your life or this area or this area in just 90 days or less, you know, like get a six pack by eating pizza and only pizza. And my question when I look at those is, is I'm like, why are those articles needed? Because I have a vivid remember, memory, excuse me, of walking down the same section in January of 2015, and I saw some very, very similar titles that kind of promised the same stuff, and if it actually worked, then wouldn't we all be fixed by now? Like, wouldn't we all be fixed? And, and I'm positive that in February, the February editions are gonna come out, and they're gonna say, a different variation of the exact same thing, and I'm gonna walk down that aisle and I'm gonna read them and I'm gonna want to believe it because I'm an optimistic guy. I'm gonna want to believe it, but I know, I know from experience that you can't just get anxiety to go away by simply just deciding you don't want it anymore. It doesn't work that way, and I think we get hopeful for a lot of things, but deep down, man, there's a, there's a part of us that just knows that there are so many things under the sun, according to King Solomon and Ecclesiastes that really are too good to be true. And so we walk into church and we hear things about life to the full. We hear things about how God is in the business of blessing his children. We hear things about how God is a redeemer and he's restoring us and he is refining us and he's making us better and more like his son every single day. And we think, yeah, freedom, yeah, I've heard that. I recognize that. Maybe for some people, that's true. But you don't know some of the things I've done. You don't know some of the ways that I've hurt people or some of the ways I've lied to people. You don't know how often I'm the one who gets hurt or lied to by the people in my life that I'm closest to. You don't know some of the things that I, I do behind closed doors that nobody else knows about, the things I think about up here that nobody else knows about except me, except for me and God. And if he knows about it, he can't be too thrilled with what's going on up here. But thank God that the coming of the kingdom of heaven never actually had anything to do with you in the first place or with me in the first place. It's been so real, even though so many things about it are intangible and unseen and hard to grasp. The kingdom of heaven is so real. It has been ever since 2,000 years ago when Jesus began his ministry. According to him then, it was in our midst. And today it's still in our midst and we're invited into it. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to go way back to the beginning to Genesis chapter 1 to show you this in maybe, maybe a different kind of way tonight. So if you have your Bibles, that's probably like page 1 or 2, not hard to find. Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, hence the name Genesis. And in it, what we get is kind of the story of how all of this happened, where all of this came from. And in the beginning, it's just God and then he just starts making stuff. Out of nowhere, just by talking, he talks and, and things start appearing out of nowhere. And the universe is there and the Milky Way is here and the earth is here and all the stars and then oceans and mountains and, and trees. And then he starts to make animals. He makes puppies and he makes sea turtles and whales and baby polar bears. And then he makes human beings. And what we learn is that as human beings, we are set apart from the rest of the created order because of all of creation, we are the only created thing that is made in his image. We're created in his image to share in his dreams, to be a part of his story with him. He created Adam and Eve, if you remember, and he, um, 
he, he, he gives them a charge for what their life is all about. He gives them a charge for what their purpose as the human race is going to be. And we can read it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And so if you're in here and you've ever wondered what your purpose is, be ready. You might just find out tonight. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Just one verse, but it's so thick that we're going to go through it a couple of times. Here we go. God created mankind in his own image. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over, and then he goes on to say, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything in between. Basically, rule over everything. And there's so much right there just about our purpose in that one verse alone. And you guys can leave that slide up just for a little bit. But there's, a, there's an author by the name of John Mark Comer, and he just came out with a book called Garden City, which is an awesome book. I've been learning so much from it. But one cool thing that he points out about this verse is he says, okay, the imago Dei, which is a fancy way of saying that one phrase, his own image. The imago Dei, that's kind of like us as human beings. That's kind of like our job title. So your job title is image bearer. My job title is image bearer. Our job titles is his reps. We're his representatives of his goodness to the rest of the world. And then God goes on to give them that command, and John Comer would say that is kind of like our job description. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So if your job title is image bearer, your job description is to fill the earth and subdue it. And that's what Bible scholars call the cultural mandate. And basically because it's a mandate or a charge from God to us to go and make culture, which is kind of cool, I think, the cultural mandate. Go into the world and make culture. Make the rest of the world look like it looks in Eden right now because Eden was not the entire earth. If we go back to even before Eden, Genesis describes the condition of the earth with the Hebrew phrase tohu wabohu, which is kind of fun to say, which is why it works for me. Do we have that slide? Tohu wabohu, which means wild and like a wasteland. So the earth was wild and like a wasteland, but it was so full of potential. And then God decides to put the garden in the east, according to Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. And then he puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and he says to them, okay, Adam and Eve, and consequently to us, go into the earth and make it look like this garden looks. It's wild out there. It is untamed out there, but it is so, so, so full of potential out there. Adam and Eve, you're gonna need a lot of help. This project is bigger than you. It's gonna take longer than your lifetimes. Much longer than your lifetimes. So have lots of babies, yes sir. Be fruitful and multiply, you got it God. Fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth with my image by filling the earth with image bearers of me. John Comer would say, you have a forest, go use it. You have a river over here, make it work for you. You have precious metals deep down in the earth's crust, get them out. You have a sun, you have soil, you have rivers, you have trees, do something with them, make them work for you. There's so much potential to go and make culture, start families, raise kids, work the earth, start businesses, invent the car, figure out how to fly, create Art and movies and architecture, invent the iPhone, invent the next cool thing, whatever that is, after the iPhone. There is so much potential. Tim Keller would say this. This is how Tim Keller describes work. This is his definition for it. Rearrange the raw material of God's creation 
in such a way that it helps the world and people thrive and flourish. I thought that was cool. His definition for what work is, rearranging the raw material that's out there of God's creation in such a way that it helps people individually and the world in general thrive and flourish. Cultivate the world that you're in. Draw out its potential because it has so much potential and be a part of bringing his kingdom to this planet on earth as it is in heaven. And so one of the hundreds of implications that we can get from that right there is this. And I wanted to, to just talk about this one for just a couple minutes. That means work was, is a good thing. Work is actually created by God to be a blessing. Adam and Eve were working. I used to think that Adam and Eve were just in paradise in Eden, kind of sitting on the beach sipping back on virgin margaritas all day, forever, like a constant vacation. But read the Bible. That's not what Eden is. Adam and Eve were so full of fulfillment and purpose in working hard, in being a part of going and making the rest of the world look like Eden, to work hard. That's what God designed us for. And even though we live in a day and age that's post the fall of man and people are broken and the ground is cursed and oftentimes wars against us, man, work is still a blessing. God designed us to work, to cultivate things, to, to raise kids and start families and work hard and go to bed tired at the end of the day with fulfillment of the project that we're involved in. So we're going to read the verse one more time. And I'm going to point out one more new thing to us really quick. So here we go. Genesis 1.28, one more time. God created mankind in his own image. So right there, if you remember, that's our job title. He created you as an image bearer. He created me as an image bearer. God blessed them. That's just proof right there that God's in the business of blessing. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. The cultural mandate, our job description as his image bearers. But then he goes on to say this. He says, rule over. And if you have your Bibles, highlight or underline that word rule because there's so much to it. Rule over the sea, the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And, and our boy John Comer would point out that that word rule right there is, is, in Hebrew, it's the word radah, which means to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. I love that. Radah, rule over, actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. And that word radah in the Hebrew, that's the language actually of royalty. It's king and queen kind of language that would say, have dominion over, reign over, rule over, actively partner with God in taking this world somewhere, which means that you're not God's employee, you're God's partner with ownership in this epic project, that you're not God's slave or his servant. You're his son and his daughter that has been adopted into the family to be a part of this story, to join in with the rest of God's children, to, to cry out that your kingdom come, your will be done on this planet as it is in heaven. And not just to pray it, but to, to put that to action and be a part of making this world look like Eden. Absolutely, you guys, you were made to spend eternity in heaven and new earth on the other side of things with God forever. But please, please, please do not miss the fact tonight that you were made to partner with him, actively part with, partner with him right now in bringing Eden to the rest of the world and bringing heaven to this earth. Think about it this way. The Bible starts in Genesis with a garden, right, like we just read, and it finishes in Revelation with a city, 
meaning that the garden was never a final product, but rather a project. It's being taken somewhere, and we are actively partnering with him in taking it somewhere. And one day, and I don't know when it'll be, but Jesus is going to come back by splitting this realm in half and stepping into it. And on that day, all the old will be forever washed away, and the new, the kingdom of heaven will be here in its fullness. And I have no idea what that's going to look like. I imagine it will be awe-inspiring and horrifying all at the same time to witness that. But man, in the meantime, this world is being redeemed. This world is being restored. Heaven is invading this planet, and we're a part of it as his active agents of redemption, partnering with him and bringing the world somewhere, that God is bringing things back to the original state that he created it in, and in order to do that, he's using the very people who screwed it up in the first place. How cool is that? That's our God. That, that's the Bible, the ultimate story of redemption of a perfect God who is restoring everything to its perfect form, its perfect creation through his perfect will. And in order to do that, he's using very imperfect people like me and like you, and he's perfecting them by the perfect sacrifice of his perfect son so that we can play too, so that we can be a part of it. So that we can be his active agents of redemption, not once we die, but starting right now. Starting as his son or as his daughter. This is what you were created for, you guys. This is that more that you feel is out there. I promise you it is. And 2016 is the year to live like we know it's real. It's the year to live like we know it's real. And uh, I want to get practical really quick. Um, to finish this off because if we get pumped up on a Thursday night but it doesn't change our Friday morning or the rest of the week, then what's really the point? And so I was thinking, how, how can we make this as practical as we possibly can? And I was thinking, well, the question becomes then, how do I use every part of my life, not just the churchy parts, not just the quote-unquote spiritual parts, but every part of my life to, to be an access point for heaven to invade this earth. Because the kingdom of heaven, Paul would describe it in the New Testament, it's an invisible realm, it's the unseen. And all of this is the seen, which is why it's so hard to grasp and it feels so far away sometimes even though it's right in our midst. So what do we do? How do we use every single part of our lives to be access points for the invisible to become visible, for the unseen to become seen? For God to do his thing in every part of our lives because he came to redeem and restore every part of our lives, not just Thursday night and Sunday morning. And I was thinking about it. Okay, so there's 24 hours in a day. If that's news to you, that's not good. <laughs> this is on average, okay? We can't do this for everybody's individual schedule. So average speaking right here, you probably, probably spend eight hours a day sleeping, maybe more, maybe a little bit less, all right? Hopefully more. You probably work on average for like eight hours a day, some days more, some days less. So right there, that's eight plus eight, 16 hours, which is two-thirds of 24 hours already, okay? Factor in one hour for your total commute there and back, whether that's the bus or in your car or on the light rail, and throw in time to stop and get gas and stop and get your Starbucks because this is reality that we're talking about here. And then an hour to work out or exercise if you're feeling ambitious. If it's January and you're feeling ambitious, an hour to work out. 
throw in, and this isn't exaggerating, I don't think, but another two to three hours to take care of all your daily to-dos like eating and cooking and grocery shopping and clothes shopping and doing the laundry and taking the trash out and hanging out with friends and, and date night and walking your dog and working on your tan and you fill in the blank for whatever you want. Factor in like two or three hours for that. Right now, we're up to like 20 or 21 hours already. And so you have three precious hours left in your day to do whatever you want with. Now, what are you gonna do with those three hours? Are you gonna spend it cultivating your spiritual life, reading the, the Bible and praying and serving and giving? Let's just be real. Probably not all of it and not all the time. Now, it's important that we do do those fundamentals because if you want to live a life of abundance that's only found through knowing Jesus, it's important to spend time knowing Jesus. It's very, very important. But what are you gonna use the last of that precious time with? If we're just being real in church tonight, probably Netflix, right? Yeah. Probably watching all nine seasons of The Office in one month like my wife and I just finished doing. Here's a quote. I miss it. I cried like the last three episodes of the last season, man. Connor, Connor is in here. You, a lot of you guys know Connor, but he, he got us onto the office in the first place, and he won't watch the last episode. He just can't do it. He says, if I don't watch it, there's still a chance that they're, that, that, that they're real, and these characters are like my friends, so I'm just not going to watch it. So <laughs> now I understand, Connor. Now I understand. Here's a quote from John Mark Comer once again, and Ben, you guys can go ahead and come back out. Seriously, all we have is a few short hours a day for scriptures, prayer, church, community, the gospel, all the quote-unquote spiritual stuff. And that's if, if you slay the Netflix dragon and give every spare minute of your spare time to cultivating your spirituality. Honestly, do any of us live that way? And what's the answer to that question? Probably not. I mean, some weeks we do, like that week you get back from Haiti or the mission trip and you're so fired up and you wake up at 5 a.m. every morning and pray for everybody in the contacts list in your phone, but that lasts for maybe, maybe a week, all right, maybe a week, and that's a good thing, but that's not all the time, right? So for a lot of us in here, we have the spiritual stuff that we do, and then we have the rest of life that we do over here, which is a lot more. We have, our, we have our sacred compartments over here, our spiritual compartments, and then the rest of life, the secular compartments over here with that sacred, secular divide in between. The only problem is that when Jesus came and said the kingdom is now in your midst, he came and destroyed that sacred, secular divide, meaning everything now is spiritual. I don't know if you know this, but you will never find the word spiritual one time in the Old Testament. There's no Hebrew word for spiritual. And in the New Testament, you only see it a couple times, and Paul uses it in a different way than we would probably use it. Because to them, everything was spiritual. So if you went up to Jesus back in the day and you said, hey, Jesus, how's your spiritual life going? He would probably look at you like, what are you talking about? Actually, he could read your mind, so he would probably know what you're talking about. But <laughs> to Jesus and to in that world and what's supposed to be our world, man, there was no spiritual stuff and then the rest of stuff. This church part of my life and then everything else. There was no sacred, secular divide. Everything was spiritual. Every part of their life was belonged to God. The kingdom of heaven has come to invade every single part of our lives. And I think, okay, so we have every part of our life, of our life, our lives, my life, your life, whatever the tenses are, I don't know. 
Um, my wife is an English major, so she'll tell me later. Um, but uh, here's what I'm thinking. So how does the invisible become visible? How does the unseen become seen? How does the kingdom of heaven invade this earth? And I think, I think that Jesus designed this all in a way that it invades through his image bearers through us, through the things that we pray, this won't be on the screen, through the things that we pray, through the things that we say, and through the things that we do in every part of our life, through the things that you say, pray, and do at work and on your commute, through the things that you say, pray, and do at the gym, through the things that you say, pray, and do at church or in your life group, through the things that you say, pray, and do when you're hanging out with your friends. I mean, we all know people that we can look at their lives and be like, man, Heaven has invaded earth through that person. His, historically, we can look through history and see all kinds of people where we're like that person right there. Heaven touched earth through that person's life. The invisible became visible through that person's life. That's what I want to be said about my life one day. That Doug, man, his life was an access point for the kingdom of heaven to meet this planet. Through the things that he prayed, through the things that he said, and through the things that he did everywhere. So how can you partner with God, actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere at your job? Maybe that looks like volunteering for something that nobody else wanted to do. Maybe that looks like being grateful for your job every single time you clock in or thanking God for your boss that you love or being grateful for the boss that you hate. Maybe it looks like when everybody else is complaining about their jobs, which we are so good at doing, what if you didn't? And what if you stood out and made people wonder about you by the thing that you didn't say or the thing that you didn't do? How do you partner with God in actively taking the world somewhere on your commute? Maybe you wave to people. Maybe you let people into your lane and you stop flipping people off when they cut you off. Because let's just be honest, nobody can flip somebody off from their car without looking like an idiot, all right? If we're just being real, like you just look dumb when you flip people off in your car, in my opinion, all right? actively partnering with God and taking the world somewhere at your gym, on date night, when you're hanging out with your friends? How do I actively partner with God through what I pray, what I say, and what I do? Every single time I get to um, speak at young adults, I always text my mom and I text uh, my wife's grandma, we call her Grammy, and I say, hey, I'm speaking on Thursday, can you please pray for me this week? Because I know every single time that they're going to, probably a lot, and I know from history that I'm going to feel it every single time. They are prayer warriors, and I love that um, because I feel it when I'm up here, and it actually works. Thank God for that, or else I'd probably get up here and just like freeze and just tell you, tell you a bunch of jokes and then say bye, and you go home like, Is that, was that guy a pastor? What, what was that? Is he serious? And I feel it. And they're taking something like their prayers, which are intangible and invisible and unseen, and it's becoming something tangible, heaven invading earth, and I'm experiencing it and feeling it. My wife, um, she has a friend from high school who now lives in California, and um, I won't go into all the details, but this friend that she has um, has been going for the last like four or five years through a really, 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 really rough patch in her life. And a couple years ago, God put it on Sam's heart, my wife's heart, to um, 
reach out to her. So she tried through Facebook, through emails, through, uh, through texting and everything, and it just seemed like she had dropped off the face of the planet. I mean, who doesn't have Facebook? You know what I mean? And she like couldn't get a hold of her and just kept praying like, God, you want me to reach out to her? Just give me a way to do that. And then finally, like a year ago, she got into contact with her founder, like through Instagram or something like that, and just began to send her text messages. And they turned into like, hey, how you doing to answering questions about God and explaining the gospel. And we got to go out last spring to California and we even got to see her for a little bit. And, and God is using something like text messages to let his kingdom invade this planet. That text message is a conduit for heaven to become visible in somebody's life. Just something as simple as a text message through what you say, through how you pray, through what you do. There's a crew in this room that's going to Haiti this summer. And they are going, they're planning the whole trip without really any help. They're just going. They're like, we got to go because there's a lot of people who need clean water in Haiti because they've spent their entire life drinking dirty water that is killing some of them. So let's go and let's bring water filters. So they're going to go this June and they're going to walk into little houses or huts or tents in Haiti and hand families water filters. And heaven is going to touch this planet through every single water filter that they hand out. That's how heaven invades earth, is through, is through us. We're his image bearers, that's our job titles. We're his conduits to do incredible things, to actively partner with him in taking this world somewhere, starting with a garden and ending with a city, making the rest of this earth that is wild and untamed look like it did in Eden, to bring heaven to this planet and actively partnering with him in a kingdom that will never be shaken and that is eternal. And this is the last thing I'm gonna say, this will take one minute. And will you guys stand with me right now really quick? 2,000 years ago, the Roman Empire, or the Kingdom of Rome, if you will, they displayed their strength and their power and their might by crucifying people. And that's kind of how they would ensure the eternality of their kingdom. It would be a public crucifixion so that everybody else could watch and it would scare them into behaving. And that's how they, that's how they flexed their muscles if you will. And around the same time, Jesus demonstrated his power and his might by being crucified and letting them do it to him. And 2,000 years later, one of those two kingdoms is alive and vibrant and more present than it's ever been, and it's why we're here tonight. And the other one you can read about in history books because it no longer exists. And it has that in common with every other kingdom, including this one that we're in right now. All of them will cease to exist. One will go on for eternity. And that one you are a citizen of. Your citizenship begins the moment that you accept Jesus Christ into your life. And you say, I want to be an image bearer. God, I want to actively partner with you. I want to be your son or your daughter. And I'm so glad that you designed it to work this way, God. You're partnering with me, are you kidding me? I have ownership in this project with you? That's how you wanted to do it? If I was God, if I were you, I probably wouldn't have done it that way, but I'm sure glad that you're God and you decided that you wanted to do it that way. I'll actively partner with God in 2016 to make this world look like Eden in any way that I can, a little bit at a time, a little glimpse of heaven through what I pray or say or do every single day.
2016 is that year, and it will be a sweet 16, you guys. We've been praying and are so excited for what God is going to do in this ministry and what he's going to do through this ministry, you guys, to bring heaven to Denver in 2016 as it is in heaven. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much that I get to be a part of this group in this room, God. That is such an honor. I thank you that you designed it in such a way where I get to partner with you. That my eternity has already started. That one day the old will be completely gone and the new will be here. 100%. But that even in the meantime, God, there's... There's this craving in me that just wants more, that knows I'm made for more, and you have an answer for that more, and it's you, and you designed me to want it, and you designed me to experience it, God, and, and, and this year, that's what I'm going to do as best as I possibly can, and I just pray, Father, that you would just make it so clear, just through little ways for everybody in this room, God, reveal to them how they can be active agents, how they can be conduits of heaven, of heaven touching earth in every area of their life, even in areas that they may have never thought, like driving to work or at the gym. God, use this group of people in crazy, crazy ways. We give you our 2016. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.